Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there. Welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this podcast because I know that there are like 2 million podcasts that are available out there. The truth is over half of them aren't really producing episodes anymore. We still are over, you know, 670 episodes. However, I know that you have a lot of choices, so I appreciate that you have chosen this little podcast on where to spend your time. Before we get started today, I have a quick commercial because I have two great sponsors today. So the first one, hey, this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Full disclosure, I work with Stanton Chase. So if you're looking to build your senior leadership team, reach out to me and we'll see if we're a good fit to help you thrive. All right. So today we're going to talk to my friend, Brian Kelly. Now, Brian's an interesting guy. I know him because he, he's been very involved in the meetings business. He's done a lot of things. He's had an eclectic career and he's just a really nice guy. But today we're going to talk about his new project. It's called The Wit and he's going to tell you all about it. It's pretty cool. Brian helps busy leaders and their teams unlock and implement one business book a month. Now think about it. Is your team really reading one business book a month? I used to read 25 books a year. I was like clockwork, boom, 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 boom. And then podcasts came along and now I read about four business books a year and I listen to things. But I do know that when you sit down and digest the real meaning of the book, it's better than just getting little sound bites here and there. Even when I listen to the full book on tape, it's not as good as if I dedicated a little bit of time to sit down and read. Well, what Brian does is he helps people through this plan called Stroke of Genius. You can find out more about it at GetStrokeOfGenius.com, but we're going to talk about this today. So, Brian, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that, and I'm excited to be here and, and share a little bit about this framework that I call the WIT framework. Awesome. Well, I will tell you that when I used to be much more of an avid reader, and A, podcasts and, and audiobooks have pulled me away from that. B, the other reason is as I get a little older, my uh, my eyes get tired faster. So where I used to just punch through like reading an hour a day when I'd wake up, uh, it doesn't work for me as much anymore. But I will tell you, when I worked on teams and we would all share a book and everybody would sort of unlock you know, the, the highlights of it, the whole team would be on the same page. So I think it's a yes. great idea what you're working on. So tell us a little bit about Stroke of Genius and the WIT framework. Sure. Well, with Stroke of Genius, um, you know, I'm typically working with teams on really this idea of not just reading the book, that's kind of the first part, but actually doing something with it. And this process that I'm going to work, walk through today um, for our discussion is really based on like the last 15 years of me reading books, sorting out the best way to extract the ideas and, and implement them so that I could do something like grow my business. <laughs> um, so through that work, I discovered quite a bit about, you know, neuroscience and specifically how we learn and how what we read is connected into our learning process. Um, so let's we'll kind of set this up first. The, the three-part framework is WIT, W-I-T. And WIT is essentially defined as 
you know, like mental sharpness, I think is one definition in the dictionary for it, which I thought was appropriate for this. But really the framework is writing is the W, imagery is the I, and talking is the T. So Tom, you mentioned at the top of our episode here about your experiences reading and how that's kind of shifted and evolved. But I think we can all agree that one of the best ways and certainly cheapest ways to learn something from some of the smartest people ever is to buy and read a book. Oh, right? a- absolutely. <laughs> I, I still think, and I'm fortunate, right? I've spent 12 years as a professional speaker. I have a lot of friends who are some of the biggest business gurus you know, in the country. And so I try... I, I had I used to have before I got involved as a speaker a personal rule that if I met somebody who wrote a book I read their book. Yeah. Now the problem is now everybody I meet in that industry has written a has book. A book. <laughs> but, but when I have developed a friendship with somebody and they've written a book, I try very hard to to read that book or at least you know sit down and get the gist of of, of their book. So yes, I think it's the greatest way to get the knowledge out of somebody rather than you know enrolling in a class or doing something longer. It's it's, it's great, but. Reading's harder to do now than ever for me. Yeah. Well, it's it's a double-edged sword, which I'll talk about in a minute, but at like 20 bucks, you know, typically is the average cost of a hard yep. cover book. Like it's an unbelievable bargain. And, and we, have but, a, we have a place in Austin, Texas called Half Price Books. Uh, nice. They might be in a lot of places. I don't know, but they're here. And uh, Half Price Books is great because that $20 book can be 10 bucks pretty easily. 10 bucks. I like it. <laughs> well, so that's like the great thing about it. But the other side of the coin is there's like this threefold problem. First is, um, you know, we have way more books than we can read because they're such a good bargain. It takes forever to find the time just to read one book. And then the third thing is that when we unlock that information, when we actually put concentrated effort into doing that so that we can turn it into action that gets us results, like that's a huge barrier for most of us because of the time that's required. So um, I'm going to walk through this framework, as I mentioned, real quick for anybody that's listening and wants kind of like a, a useful reference PDF that articulates each of the concepts I'm going to talk about. Go to getstrokeofgenius.com forward slash making waves. And you can download that um, helpful document. So here's the thing. I'll give you an example. I recently read The Ride of a Lifetime by Disney's executive chairman, Bob Iger. And this book was amazing because there's you know decades and decades of amazing business wisdom that Bob Iger has put into this you know, 200, 300 page book. And it's specifically around some of the biggest media acquisitions of all time. And it's relevant to me because right now a partner and I are currently acquiring niche media businesses. So there's a ton of great info in there. And because of this three-part framework that I'll share in a moment, you know, I've been able to, in just a few hours, read the book. I've got some speed reading skills, so I've read it pretty quickly. And then it only took me a few more hours to actually implement the concepts. But before I had those tools, it would have taken several weeks um, just to get to something like page 73. So, you know, as, as wonderful as books are, there's this massive roadblock in our way to their usefulness. And interestingly, I learned that the reason is books are based on what is described as the economy of learning. And this is an idea that basically boils down to three things. You know, books are cheap. They're relatively, you know, 
not time intensive in, in a, a certain sense where, you know, you can get in and out and, you know, you don't have to dedicate like four hours to just sitting down unless you really wanted to. And then the ease of delivery, like it's super easy for somebody to, you know, print up a book and get it in your hands. So that's great. You get all this nice little neat package that's affordable. Unfortunately, that's not how our brains naturally and normally learn, right? Learning is the key. So understanding how we learn is the key to overcoming this barrier that I've been describing. Well, and, and, and talking about, about this barrier for a lot of people, that's a huge barrier. A lot of people just sitting down and getting, getting the time and staying focused. I mean, you know, people are so easily distracted when they sit down to read, you know, used to be, I would sit down to read. Great. But now my phone is buzzing, things are happening. So, you know, I think you're right. I think it's a huge roadblock. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, you know, I've dug into a lot of the neuroscience that's come out over the past decade or two. And the interesting thing is that it's shown us there's a more effective way to learn. And that's through (laughs) big surprise experience. Um, So there's a, a cognitive psychologist named Clark Quinn that I've read a couple of books that he's written about. And he had this quote that really stood out to me. And it was like, learning is only effective if it requires action on the part of the learner, right? So action is a critical piece in us taking something that somebody shared from us, like a download of information contained in a book and doing something with it. Um, Another quote that was interesting from uh, a woman named Patricia Wolf, who is uh, an expert in adult learning. She said, this is, this is funny. I love this one. You don't learn to swim by reading a book about it, (laughs) right? Like you sure you can read a book, right? But the only way you're going to learn how to swim is to get in the water and start flapping your arms around, you know, experiencing that. I love both those quotes in the way that they sort of tie together, because the truth is, is that she's right. You don't learn to swim that way. And the other quote where, you know, the effective learning, it's going to require action. So that's awesome. And yet when most of us read a book, it doesn't require any action. We just sit there. Maybe the only action is lifting your coffee cup to your lips every few seconds. Yes. So it's very passive and we want to flip that around and make it active. And that's where the first part of the framework comes in. So wit, I mentioned earlier, the W is writing. This is foundational and the reason why it's the first part of the framework. Now, interestingly enough, a lot of folks have discussed this during the past few years. Um, it's become you know, kind of a hot topic to talk about that writing and getting away from digital tools and more you know, paper-based things with pen and ink, you know, that's become more aware for many of us to say, yeah, that actually makes sense. But the next two parts in the framework are a little bit less known. So let me frame it this way. Like a mentor of mine once said, we write to remember, but we remember because we write. So writing is really a powerful tool because of the simple reason is that when we take notes, we can more easily recall that information later. And it helps us understand it better compared to if we just listened and then did nothing. Right. So you're saying why I'm reading, I should have a notebook in my lap. That's right. Wow. Or, you know, kind of my, my way to go uh, in the first passes I'm reading is I'll, I'll just keep a pen or pencil, preferably a pencil 
Otherwise I get ink all over my shirt. <laughs> um, but you know, underline, write little things in, in the column. Um, you know, a lot of folks do that already. And that's kind of the first pass. Well, this is, there, this is what they taught us to do in college, right? We were supposed yep. to highlight the book. We were supposed to underline and circle packages, passages and put stars in the margins. And then when we get out of college, we stop doing that. When we move from textbook to business book, we don't do that yep. anymore. Yeah, exactly. Because there's not that pressure of you have to perform to pass the exam, but the stakes are higher, interestingly enough. Um, so yeah, you know, with this idea of writing um, and kind of, you know, the way, the way that we've been conditioned in, in most cases is you, you talked about the studying part where you highlight, but what happens when we're in the classroom? Like we sit and we listen and in many cases we don't do anything. You know, maybe we take notes, but the unfortunate thing is most of us haven't even learned how to properly take notes. And, um, you know, this, there's this idea that a gentleman named Jay Cross kind of put out there in a book that he wrote in 2007. In fact, Jay Cross is the guy that coined the term e-learning. So he's been an expert in like the digital learning space, but he had this concept that he wrote about where it's like, it takes time for learning to sink in and the act of writing is what helps facilitate that process of letting your mind absorb it. So it's really a tool for refining our thoughts on a topic. And that's why, you know, I think as you mentioned, being able to, to write in the margins, highlight things that helps us start to zero in on some of the key ideas. So when we write or even draw symbols uh, for things like keywords, phrases, concepts, we're processing it three times. So once when we've read it, a second time when we're thinking about it or pondering it, and then a third time when we translate it into written form. So it happens pretty quickly, but those three things are happening as opposed to if we were just, you know, more passively just skimming or, you know, reading through that content. Mm. Um, let me highlight a few specific reasons that underscore this idea of writing being a powerful tool. Number one is that it stimulates our memory, which I've talked a little bit about, but this is where our brain gets activated in multiple places um, when we're reading, right? So there's a part of the brain that processes reading, but there's also a different part of the brain that stores that information differently when we write. So we're getting access or tapping into you know more parts of our brain, more power, which helps us retain it in our long-term memory so that we can more easily have access to those ideas and concepts later. Um, the second thing is that writing is kinesthetic, right? That's doing things, touching, feeling, and really the, it's the physical act of moving the pen across the page is what makes it a better learning strategy than just reading alone. So it's that interaction again between the brain and the hand that cements what we're consuming and being exposed to and the ideas uh, that are being shared and conveyed to us through that book. Okay. The last thing is what they call uh, visual spatial. So writing is visual spatial. And this means that we remember where we write. And more specifically, we get like a mental location of specific bits of info on a piece of paper. So, you know, I, I typically, when I do this, in a minute, we'll talk about imagery, which helps anchor this visual component. But I can picture like a, a notebook page where I've written specific notes with visual cues. And it's just easier to recall. 
Um, so it's tapping into, again, this part of our brain that can see things spatially and, you know, it's pretty cool. So it creates a mental image of that content, which again, makes it even more memorable. So that's, that's writing. That's all I've got to say about writing before we move along to injury. I think that's fascinating though, because I'm, I'm thinking about the next time I read sitting down and doing exactly what you said, because it all makes total sense from not just a brain science, but from just, you know, basic logic totally makes sense that Mm -hmm. the writing, the writing helps. Yeah. So let's talk about the eye in the wit framework and that's imagery. I think let's, let's do this. There's an exercise we can do real quick that will set this up nicely. So close your eyes. If you're listening to a podcast, (laughs) not if you, not if you're driving, not if you're driving, don't, but pull off to the side of the road and close your eyes. Uh, Then visualize these words, Mickey mouse, (laughs) ocean waves, best friend, night sky, first love, ice cream. So I'm sure some strong images popped in your head when I said those words. Yep. And every, every single, every single one of them, it was a mental picture, not a word, not the words. And that's because our brain creates images instead of seeing the actual words. So this is really important to understand. We remember images and we forget words. You see most, if not all of our memories are stored as images And then we use words to describe what we're seeing and hearing inside of our head. So the more visual we can make what we're reading from a book, the more likely it's to be recalled later. (laughs) So here's why. Three simple things. One is that images engage our brain. And that's because it simply loves images. Because 80% of the brain is dedicated to processing visuals. There's also six parts of the brain specifically that dedicate those visual images. So bottom line, like we're always going to be paying attention to visuals, which is part of the reason why video has become such a popular medium um, on social channels and, and other places is because it just holds your attention or grabs your attention. The other thing is that images trigger long term memory. And really what it's doing is it's triggering emotion. And the brain is biologically wired to pay attention to information that it has a strong emotional connection to. And that's because the brain is wired (laughs) to wake up when it's tapping into emotion. So it's like a signal for it to say, hey, this is important. So emotion drives attention. Attention drives learning and memory. The last thing is that images create shortcuts. So for example, Um, if I described like a super simple procedure to you, like how to brush your teeth, it would take a while. (laughs) But if I just did it, if I just demonstrated like, Hey Tom, here's how you brush your teeth. You get it almost instantly. So when we picture it and we feel it, then we get it. And the bottom line is that images help us translate that information into action. So here's some practical aspects to this. Let me give you a couple examples of how you can actually do this. It's what I call um, visual note-taking. There's a number of different names for it. And visual note-taking is kind of the one that I've focused on. It could be something like very rudimentary as Cornell notes, 
which was one of the methods that they taught us when we were in college on how to take notes, structure the, the piece of paper in a certain way and really distill down key ideas. Um, so that's on one end of the spectrum. The other side is my preferred approach, and that's what's described as sketch noting. So it's where you combine simple doodles or icons with key ideas and text. The important thing that I'll mention here is that it's not about being an artist or even having something that's visually amazing. It's about processing the information in a brain friendly way. And at the beginning of our conversation, I did mention that PDF on the website at gets, uh, excuse me, getstrokeofgenius.com forward slash making waves. That's actually a visually engaging sketch note, uh, which is pretty cool. It's a more polished version of what I typically create, but it's a great example of what I'm describing here. Um, so it's, it's simple, you know, arrows, it could be lines, it could be shapes, squares, triangles, maybe things that are a little bit more advanced if you've got some naturally artistic leanings in you. But even if you don't, all of us can create these things and they really, really make a huge impact on helping us consume that information, internalize it and recall it later. Fascinating. So when you're talking about that, is that like when I sit next to somebody at a conference and in the, in the margins or in the body of their notebook, they're drawing pictures instead of writing words down as the speaker is speaking, they're drawing visual pictures as to what he's saying as part of their note taking. Is that the same thing? Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's, um, if you see somebody that's doing that, it's a little bit more illustrative. They've certainly got a a degree of skills. This probably beyond uh, many of us, but it's the same concept where they're distilling down as they're hearing, um, the speaker share certain key ideas. They're capturing that in a way that's helping them really internalize it. And then later they'll be able to recall. So when they think about this amazing keynote, that Tom Singer gave, um, they're going to have these as well. They should images. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that'll help them recall all of those key points that you shared during your talk. Um, a lot of conferences actually will have what they call uh, graphic facilitators. Yep. I've been, I've been to those. I love it when somebody does the big giant, you know, full color graphic design of what I'm talking about, kind of mapping it through those, you know, and people look at them and just think they're cool, but they're really what you're saying, a better way to digest all of that information. Yeah. And the core ideas behind what they're doing and capturing as a graphic facilitator is the root of what I'm talking about. So you don't have to be a professional graphic facilitator. <laughs> um, oh yeah. But- my, my, the, the, when I try it and I take notes and draw pictures, it's like, if you say Mickey mouse, it looks like Mickey mouse is like, you know, been hit by a car, but still <laughs> I get the idea. The gist is there. Yeah, exactly. So, and we all have the capacity to do that. It's just some are a little bit more talented uh, than others. And I fall in the category that's, uh, I'm not incredibly talented at it, but I, I, I do enough that helps me really <laughs> take action on these ideas. So before we so, get to the, the third part of which, yeah. I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Brian Kelly. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, 
I know that many of you do. Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. All right. So, Brian, let's wrap up this whip wit framework. What is the T? It is talking. Talking. Yeah. So the third and final piece is really, this is the thing that I think really locks it up. Um, you know, the first two are, are definitely foundational. This one is something that a lot of people, when they hear about this, they're like, Oh yeah. Like I've even had that experience, but I didn't realize how significant it was. So long ago, let's start here. Let's go back to our ancestors in order for them to quickly acquire new skills, they had to cooperate. And, you know, adults would teach what they knew about survival to their young, as well as others that were part of their tribe or their community. And this obviously increased the odds of not getting eaten by a predator or dying of starvation and a whole long list of other things. Um, but they learned how to verbally explain and respond, argue, answer, encourage, ask, all those things that go into communication and that forms the basis of talking. Well, one of, so, one of the things I teach in, in what, I, what I talk about is that the brain is wired for stories because of what you just said. For generations after generations, yes. going back tens of thousands of years, the medicine men and the, the leaders of, of, of communities and tribes, etc., they didn't pass out PowerPoints or use Excel spreadsheets they taught the next generation through interactive conversation and storytelling. So what you're talking about, I like sat up in my chair. I'm like, yes, Brian, yes, keep going. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's powerful. Story is incredible. And this is what this starts to tap into a bit. Um, so think about like today's learning environments. You know, most of the places that we go to learn, um, we've shifted from what our ancestors did, which is very engaging conversation and dialogue to pass along information to this model that's very passive and non-interactive. So we, I mentioned this a moment ago with one of the other concepts in the framework. And that's like, we sit at a desk or a chair, we listen to a lecture, you know, we pass an exam or a certification in many cases, and then we do it all over again. But we know this doesn't work very well at all. In fact, I mean, half of my course work that I did in my bachelor's program, I don't remember, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but in order to learn best, what the experts have, have told us is that we need to talk because it helps us understand and more importantly, remember what we're learning. So the most effective way to master any new material is to take a concept and then teach it to someone else. And like reading should be the smallest part of the entire process because the person doing the most talking is the one who does the most learning. Hmm. And think about that for a minute. You know, Tom, when, when you get up and, and give a talk or a keynote, you're an expert on that topic that you've been asked to come and share with the audience. And that's because you've been talking about it. You've been able to internalize it. You've been able to rehearse it. You've been able to really mull over those concepts and articulate them in a way that you're transferring that to others. But really, 
because you're, you've done a ton of talking around it. You've learned the most about it. Well, I think we need to invent a time machine and go back to my third grade teacher and have you tell her exactly the fact <laughs> that Tom is not disruptive. Tom is learning more than everybody else. In That's class. right. <laughs> uh, I'll put that on the to-do list once we get that time machine. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, so that is, that is fascinating. And it's one of the reasons why I have a new concept I'm teaching to organizations around uncommon connections. And everybody's so excited about, you know, the, the number of people in their network. I have 5,000 people in LinkedIn. Well, all of those are just common. They're just likes, links, shares, mm-hmm. and follows. But we all have, at least I hope we all have, at least one or more people who always seem to have our back. They, they're always watching out for us. They're helping us. We're helping them. We have that great thing. Those are uncommon. And we can learn to cultivate those in business. And one of the things I do when I describe the concept behind uncommon connections is I have the group describe to each other their most uncommon positive connection in their entire business, you know, infrastructure and how they developed that relationship. And so essentially what you're saying in, in the force of not reading, but in the force of being at a conference, I'm helping them learn by having them do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it signals to the brain that like, Hey, there's something here that's different and, um, you know, pay attention. So it's, it pulls you into the experience, which is really what, what I'm getting at with this framework is, making you more actively involved in reading because when you do that, the byproduct is that you'll be able to internalize those ideas and concepts, understand what they mean for you, your organization, the challenges that you're facing right now. And some of it may not be applicable or most of it may not, but there'll be core things that you take away and that's, what's important. So it's actively engaging with the content in ways that you hadn't. And as you described with that experience um, that you've kind of implemented and deployed, it's, it's very similar where, you know, when, when we talk, it helps us recreate, increase the retention and we'll remember things differently as opposed to if you just are sitting there passively, whether it be reading, listening to a podcast, attending a conference with, um, you know, speakers that are sharing ideas from a stage or the front of the room. And, you know, when, when we restate it in our own words and we're intentional about this, it helps us really internalize that information better. That's the bottom line. All right, Brian. So we have just a couple minutes left. So how, when you work with companies, how do you structure this so that they, their whole team can run through a book a month, which is a lot of books. Yeah. Well, the core of what um, we do with Stroke of Genius is rooted in this framework. And the one thing that we do that makes it a little bit easier is that we do all the reading in advance. So we'll take, you know, we curate specific business books. We read through all of them. We create a very short, concise summary of the entire book that takes about 10 minutes to read with all of the core ideas distilled. And then we've created an action plan, like an action execution guide is essentially how we describe it. And it says, these are the three to five big ideas from this that you can consider implementing. And then once the team has gone through those materials and internalized them, it's like, you know, the incredible shortcut. And then we spend 90 minutes each month walking through a facilitated um, discussion around what does this mean for you, your team, your organization, the challenges that you're facing, and what are the 
you know, whether it be one or two or three action items that you're going to take this next month to implement, let's dig into that. So that's really the the core of what we're doing at, at Stroke of Genius is helping you shortcut all of these things that I've described. You can certainly benefit uh, on your own from implementing the WIT framework. But if you're looking for kind of that quick, more easy download, uh, reduce the friction and get in and get out what you need. Um, I certainly encourage you to continue reading on your own, but when you're looking for core ideas that are going to help implement or help you be implemented into your business, that's what we focus on. So what type of executive says, yep, we want Brian, we want stroke of genius. How do we do this? What, what is, what are the characteristics of the people who this is a no brainer for versus people who go, I don't know, 12 books once a month seems like a lot and we have things to do. What's, what's the Delta there? Yeah, it's somebody who really has experienced the value of reading business books, key books, and there's you know a great list out there and taking action on them. You know, they've they've gone through and did the hard work. And even if it was just one idea, they've seen a dramatic shift in the business and ROI that's, you know, uncompared to anything else. Those are the people that we work with. And that's where I started. My first business, um, when I started in my 20s and grew to a seven-figure company, we learned from books. We didn't know anything. I mean, (laughs) fresh phase 20-somethings, we had a lot of ambition, but not a lot of knowledge. Um, You know, we took some key books, distilled down the key ideas, and acted on them. And then same thing. I was an executive for uh, a mid-sized company, helped grow the revenue three times, threefold in just three years, because we took the same process of distilling down key ideas from specific books and focused on implementing them. And that company sold to private equity and I've been able to move on into a couple of other interesting areas. So those are the folks that we're we're really looking for, whether it be an executive, whether it be, um, an entrepreneur that's seen the value in, in what they've done, but it's just, there's not enough time in the day or the week or the month, or you're like, this book is something I believe in, but I don't have time to download it to the rest of my team. That's where we can come in and help transfer that information very quickly. Awesome. And if people want to find more, they go to getstrokeofgenius.com. Any final words, Brian? No, I think that this is something that I would just encourage everybody, whether you're, um, you know, somebody that enjoys reading or whether you feel that reading certain books will help you um, take these three concepts to heart, you know, writing, using very simple images and talking with other people about it. It could be, you know, sharing something at lunch with friends or colleagues, teaching it to a small group in an informal setting, like a team huddle you know, talking with your wife when you're out for a walk. Those are all ways that will help you internalize those ideas and clarify them and really make meaning of what that is and how it is important for you where you're at. So that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this podcast? You know what? It's been a great run, though. I've done this podcast now for coming up on seven years. I have had the ability to interview hundreds of people about some really interesting topics, uh, made some great friends along the way, and I hope that the people who listen and those who keep coming back are always able to distill just a little nugget here and there. So go out there, flex your business muscles, 
Make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb to the top to find out you're in the wrong place. And while you're out there making waves, make sure that you have some fun along the way. Go out and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.